Welcome to the For Love of Space podcast. I'm Paul Beatty. If you find yourself looking into the sky with awe and wonder, then this is the place for you. I'm not a scientist, physicist, or even an astronomer, but I am a guy who has an unquenchable love for anything and everything that has to do with space. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a little while since I released a, a podcast. Uh, sorry for the uh, time away from the mic. And uh, had a few things going on between uh, COVID and shoulder surgery and just kind of um, playing a little hooky out there. But, man, I just had to get back at it uh, for uh, biggest reason here at all. Uh, hopefully you guys have been uh, staying tuned with the latest and greatest out of NASA. Um, you're probably all very aware that in July of last year in 2020, aboard an Atlas rocket, was the uh, Perseverance. Well, the Perseverance, just yesterday, um, made its way to Mars after seven long months, and it has landed. That's absolutely right. The rover is now on Mars, on the surface of Mars. Uh, I did watch it live stream like I know a lot of people did, a lot of people in the country. Uh, Hopefully you had a chance to do that as well. If not, you can go out to the um, NASA website, and they do have video feeds. It's probably on Twitter as well. Um, so by all means, watch that. It, it, it's really cool. Uh, one of the things that it is funny because, you know, I'm sitting in my house just watching a live stream of it, and you can just um, feel the anticipation, and you're, and you're right there with them. Right? I was on the edge of my seat uh, with everybody in the, in the, in the command room that was um, – watching the countdown of it and it was just as nail biting i think for me as it was for for the people that were actually actually there um the emotions were running high and it was it's just a a phenomenal achievement Uh, so let's take a little bit of a look look at it and, and why it was such a big achievement and kind of the steps it had to go through and what made this so monumental and we've had several landers um you know on the martian surface in the past nothing real uh nothing real new about that right we've we've done it but did you know that uh, even though we've done it in the past there's no guarantee that every time you you send a mission out to mars that you're going to be successful i mean we're talking about traveling you know what 240 250 million miles uh from the sun we're uh it's not just you know right next door it's not like sending something up to the moon which is hard in itself as well um, I listen to a lot of planetary radio. I love that show. Matt Kaplan does a tremendous job hosting that. And one of the things they like to quote is space is hard. And that's absolutely right. There's nothing easy about it. I think we've come kind of complacent over the years because we, we're just surrounded in this, in this country and in other countries as well with some extremely smart people that spend a lot of painstaking time and research and making sure that things are right before anything ever goes out. So to the layperson at home, it seems like it's pretty easy. You know, you just plug and play. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and um, it, it's it's really, really hard. A lot of cool technology going aboard this, um, this rover. I'll probably do a, a podcast where I break things down a little more, too. Today I just really wanted to spend some time just really – 
uh, congratulating everybody on such a, an awesome achievement, going through some of the really, really, really high points on um, on what made this such a, uh, a cool uh, event. And um, so let's take a look at it. So yesterday was February 18th, uh, 2021. At approximately 3.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you're in the United States, um, th that's when it actually landed. Um, th it had several different phases, and a lot of things that had to happen had to happen correctly. Like I said, um, it's not easy. Just because we've done it before doesn't make it easy. I saw a statistic that said that about f only uh, about 40% of the... Um, only 40% of missions are successful that have actually been sent to Mars. Um, you may not realize that the, that it's that really that low considering all the landers we put up there, uh, you know, with Insight up there and Curiosity and others. Um, that 40%, I was kind of uh, surprised at that number too. I knew it wasn't easy, but I didn't realize um, that it's been um, uh, that bad. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this now. So what's really cool is the uh, rover, uh, again, we said it was aboard an, an Atlas rocket. Uh, when it starts to get closer to Mars, um, they had to program the rover um, and the, uh, and the uh, you know, the uh, encapsulating um, craft that, that, that's transporting it there. They had to program it to be um, self-sufficient and go into auto mode when it reached the uh, Martian atmosphere. It takes about 11 seconds to transmit data back from Mars. So they had to make it autonomous so that it would be, they wouldn't be able to control the descent and to land it where it needed to land because of the signal. It would take too long to get back and forth. It just wouldn't work out. So they had to, uh, they had to map it out very carefully and they had to rely on the, um, on the rover to be smart enough to land itself. Uh, so that's incredible to start with, right? So let's talk about where they decided to land this puppy first, and then we'll get into the actual landing of it. They uh, were looking at different areas on Mars, and one area, and, and this went through, I mean, this wasn't just a, you know, a couple guys saying, ah, let's, let's, let's put it there. That looks like a good spot. Uh, you know, they had a lot of input from a lot of different people from all over the place that um, came up with different sites. Uh, what would be the benefit of those sites? What are the risk of those sites? And they had to weigh those out and decide on the best place. Well, they decided on a place called the uh, Gisero Crater um, that for a number of reasons, and the good and the bad of this place, right? Because it's one of the reasons why this was such a, a tricky landing. Uh, it is a crater. Uh, this looked like a, um, when you, you research it, uh, and you know that we have the uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter that um, is up there at Mars right now. And they have an instrument called the CRISM, the C-R-I-S-M instrument. And... What it had uh, done is it was able to detect that there was actual uh, clay sediment in this region. Well, clay, at least when we look at it on Earth, only forms in the presence of water. And this area looked like what would be likened here on Earth as being a, a delta. 
an area where water goes in, if you think about like uh, the Mississippi River Delta, where you have a, an area where uh, rivers feed into it and it brings all the uh, sediment and everything. And if you look in that, like in the Mississippi River Delta, uh, it's a great place to find uh, ancient uh, microbial life. So if there was water on Mars at one time, let's say, and a lot of people hypothesize this, that there was a better atmosphere on Mars, uh, that there was water. And if there was water on Mars, then did it support microbial life? And again, when we're talking about life on Mars right now, we're not looking for little green men or Martians. We're looking at signs of any kind of life form uh, and, and microbial more than likely. So they thought this might be one of the best places to uh, get that sampling. Because one thing that's really good about this mission is they do plan on collecting samples and getting those samples back to Earth. And we'll go into that in a different in a different cast. But uh, so it, it's very exciting. Uh, the thing about landing in this crater, though, is it's not a uh, necessarily a nice, flat, level, easy place to come. Uh, it's got, you know, a lot of, it's a crater, so it's got some, um, it's got cliff formations, it's got uh, uneven areas. Yeah. It does have rocks that they're hoping date back as far as 3.6 billion years old, uh, so closer to the formation of our solar system. So really, really excited about about going to this place, but it does make it very uh, uh, hard um to make sure that you're you're landing in a place that doesn't uh, damage or destroy the rover on impact. Um, it has a new thing on this rover that is a terrain relative navigation solution, which is really cool in that when the rover, um, before it lands, it actually scopes out the landing site, target locks on the site that would be the best uh, to land in, and heads that way uh, for the landing. So really, um, a really uh, uh, something that hadn't been done before. So instead of us trying to land it in or, or picking just the easiest spot, it actually looks for the best spot and lands. So the rover went in different steps, if you think about when it was coming in uh, for a landing. First, uh, there's... Basically, uh, when you go on the NASA website, it breaks it down into 12 steps. And I'm just going to give you a high-level view of those steps, and then we'll kind of go into uh, a little more detail on a couple things that I thought was, was interesting. Uh, so first, uh, step one, when it's getting ready to enter the, uh, the Martian atmosphere, remember the Martian atmosphere is quite a bit thinner than the Earth's atmosphere, but it still has an atmosphere. The first thing it does is it separates, the cruise stage separates. It gets ready for the uh, atmospheric entry, which is step two. So the atmospheric entry, you know, it has a heat shield on it, that heat shield. Um, they have um, directional controls that make sure it's oriented correctly so it hits the atmosphere at the right angle uh, so that the heat is absorbed by the heat shield and doesn't burn up the, the rover and the craft. After the atmospheric entry, step three uh, is what they call the peak heating so that's going through the uh, the atmosphere. It's heating up, uh, you know, at over 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit. And part of that heating it brings into step four, which is our peak deceleration. Step five is the parachute deployment, which is really cool. We'll, we'll 
definitely talk about the parachute here in a second because it's really neat how they do this. Um, and then step six is the heat shield separation. So once it doesn't, it's no longer needed, they jettison that. And when they do that, it allows the instrumentation on the uh, the rover itself to um, to be looking at the surface of Mars and start plotting out where it wants to land. Which brings us to step seven, which is that radar lock. Step eight is terrain relative navigation solutions. So finding that perfect spot and coordinating it in. Then you have the back shell separation. And the back shell separation is then followed by the power descent. The power descent is the um, actually uh, the uh, sky crane is uh, firing its rockets uh, to slow it down even further and hovering um, just uh, above the Martian surface. And then you have the rover separation, where it's actually the rover is gently landed to the surface of Mars by the sky crane. And the sky crane is just absolutely nuts, right? That is so cool. I can't wait to, to, if you haven't seen images of it, it, it's just, I mean, this just blows my mind. All this just blows my mind. And then touchdown. So let's take a look at at some of this stuff. in a little more detail. So first off, remember that when the rover is gets to Mars and it's starting to enter the Martian atmosphere, it's booking. It is going somewhere in the vicinity of 12,500 miles an hour, give or take. That is really, really fast. Obviously, you can't be going that fast and try to land this thing, you would just have another impact crater, and you would lose everything. So they had to slow the craft down, and you don't have a lot of time. Um, the slowing down is when this um, the rover is going to enter the Martian atmosphere, and this is the exact same time when you're losing contact with the rover because of the uh, signal uh, drag or lagging and getting the signal. They call this a seven minutes of terror because there's about seven minutes after you hit the atmosphere the time that you're actually going to be landing on the surface of Mars. And remember that the rover's going to be doing all this itself. Now, they're getting telemetry data back. Uh, they know when certain milestone events happen or don't happen. Um, as they say, there's a thousand things that can go wrong and everything has to go right. Uh, so it's not a guarantee by any means. There's so much that can go wrong. So how do they slow this down? How do they get it down from that over 12,000 miles per hour to, you know, where they can just gently lower the rover onto the surface? Well, the first thing is when they hit the atmosphere and they turn the, the heat shield, uh, that starts creating a drag. Uh, there's that, that friction, you know, uh, when you're coming through the atmosphere. Uh, it's heating up. Uh, the heat shield heats over 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit, like I said, uh, where the equipment on board, because the heat shield's so effective, uh, only gets to about room temperature. Um, again, if they have the angle off, they're not descending properly, uh, or the heat shield fails, then you can lose everything. Now, this is going to slow it down, but it's not going to slow it down enough. It's going to slow it down to about somewhere, you know, or 900, 940 miles an hour, somewhere in that vicinity. So they needed something else to help slow it down, too. And what they came up with was a supersonic parachute. It's really the largest one they've ever deployed on another planet like this. Uh, The chute is over 70 feet in diameter. 
It opened at an altitude of about seven miles above the Martian surface. And this actually slowed the, uh, the craft down to about 200 miles an hour. It is a little thinner atmosphere, like I mentioned, than Earth's. Um, so they did require a larger chute. And it didn't slow it down quite as much as it would have done on, in an Earth atmosphere. But it did slow down about 200 miles an hour. The other slowdown came with what they call a power descent. So when the, um, the rover detected that it was about 6,900 feet above the surface of, of Mars, it cut, the, uh, cut free of the chute, and then it engaged different booster rockets uh, that were used to slow the descent down even further. So now we got a rover that's uh, traveling somewhere in the vicinity of a little under 2 miles an hour, about 1.7 miles an hour. And we're about 12 seconds before we're going to touch down. So again, gotten it so close. Uh, if all these steps don't go perfect, right, the chute doesn't deploy. Uh, the chute deploys, but it doesn't work. Uh, the chute deploys, but it gets tangled up. You know, you hear skydiving accidents where the chute deployed, but it got fouled. Uh, you know, the lines were all twisted or something, and it wasn't a clean up, so it doesn't take the air, it doesn't slow it down. Uh, any of those things can happen. In this case, the chute worked absolutely perfect. Uh, zero issues with the chute. Uh, they were able to cut the chute. The rockets fired just as they were supposed to, and it slowed it down to that 1.7 miles an hour. Once you get about 12 seconds for touchdown, and about 66 feet above the surface, then and this is the thing that's just so cool, uh, and you gotta you gotta watch the video of this because it is really uh, magnificent to watch. Once it gets there, then the um, the sky crane detaches the rover. Up until this time, the rover's been stored at the bottom of the sky crane, and its wheels have been folded up. Well, the wheels come down, everything's locked in place for landing, and the rover detaches, and it's held on by a series of cables. So these cables are gently lowered from the sky crane, which is hovering in position about 66 feet above the surface, and it lowers the rover on these cables. Once the rover detects that it is on the surface, then it sends a signal and it detaches the cables of the sky crane. The sky crane then diverts course so it doesn't, you know, crash right onto the rover and it just flies off in another direction and eventually will crash onto the Martian surface away from uh, any of the other uh, rovers um, or anything in, uh, in the way. Again, things can go wrong. So this is another one of those points where one, does it slow down enough? Are the rockets effective and slow it down so it's a soft landing? Two, when it detaches the rover, one, does it detach? There's, you know, there's always a risk that the mechanism or one of the relays, um, something happened to it in transit and it wouldn't work. Uh, would the cables descend? You know, did they get hung up? Um, did they snap? Um, did they misjudge the distance and, you know, it's like um, rappling off, rappelling off a cliff and it's a 100 foot cliff and you have 98 feet of rope. 
are the cables long enough to make it all the way to the surface? Did they, you know, did they figure all that right? Once it's on the surface, um, and did the rover detect it? Was the rover able to send that that signal to detach the cables? Um, did the cables actually detach? Did they get, you know, did they get hung up? Did they not detach? And in that case, when the um, when the crane f- sped off and it, there was still a cable attached, it could drag the rover with it and, and damage it or destroy it. Also, if it didn't fly away and it just came straight down on top of the rover, all those things can happen. Just so many aspects that can go wrong. Again, went perfect to the T. Jumped it down safely jubilation in the room pure joy in the room everybody's standing up you know fist bumps high fives um we have landing we have touchdown confirmed uh words you always want to hear everything went off perfect they um they got the telemetry back to say that it was down they also had the first image it was a very dusty image it uh, wasn't the high resolution cameras that are on there it's more the i believe they said there was the navigational cameras that sent the first image uh, there was also uh, dust uh, because you know obviously coming down with the thrusters and everything stirred up some of the the uh, surface dust uh, so it's a very uh, kind of a grainy but you can see the surface of mars and you can see the shadow of the rover setting there so absolutely amazing absolutely fantastic um so everything worked exactly the way it was supposed to and the rover is safely and securely on the martian surface so kudos to the the entire team all the contributors thousands of people that put in thousands and thousands of hours uh getting everything ready getting everything set all the testing and retesting and and testing again uh, to make sure all these systems were operational and it just worked to perfection. It'll be um, so gratifying to uh, see the the science coming back out of this. Uh, that'll be the next thing to look forward to. There's exciting missions that they're going to be doing. I'll keep you guys posted on that. And don't forget, besides just the rover, there's also the helicopter that made its first trip to Mars here. So this is just a, um, they're just testing this helicopter out. They don't have any idea whether or not it'll actually fly in the atmosphere of Mars. Again, you can only test it here on Earth in our atmosphere, but things don't work the same up in the Martian atmosphere. So that'll be a very interesting um, development uh, as that goes to see how that performs uh, because that can really lead to some uh, really breakthrough modalities of um, travel and testing on the Martian surface. Um, again, all this is really designed to see if there's any life uh, that had been on Mars, kind of get an idea of where that came from, an idea of how things may have started in the solar system in particular. Uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe in creation, but I believe in science too. I think they go hand in hand. I know that's not the viewpoint of a lot of people, uh, but it is mine. Um, I believe it uh, goes hand in hand. I believe God created everything, how he created it, we've never, we haven't been told. Um, so I look forward to all the science that this brings back. I think it's, uh, I think science and um, 
can can reveal a lot of a lot of different answers. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, and I will keep everybody up to date. In the meantime, if you haven't uh, if you haven't seen the footage, please go out there and look at it. It's definitely worth the watch. And my goodness gracious, uh, keep your love for science booming. Keep your love for space booming. Um, and take care. Bye now. That'll wrap up this week's podcast. Make sure to join me next week as we continue our love affair with space. You can reach me with feedbacks and comments at Twitter at For the Love of Space. And remember, if you don't love space, what's the point?